AntiUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AntiUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AntiUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AntiUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's October 6, 2017. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Boy, what a brutal month this has been, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has been. It's just I mean, uh, all these hurricanes, and then you know everybody's amped up over the national anthem, and then this just beyond tragic shooting. I'm like, we just—it's just brutal. It no is. way around. It is every day. It's something else. It seems like now, or every week at least. And uh, you know, we try hard not to be a political show here, but it's difficult not to talk about this shooting, right? I mean, it's—it uh, was in Las Vegas. Yeah. You know, pretty much the poker capital of the world. Um, didn't happen at casino, but the shooting came from a casino hotel. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, a couple of days ago, my wife walked in. She's like, hey, the shooter was a poker player. And I'm like, yep, of course. And then, of course, I looked it up, and it's uh, video poker. But still, you know, thousands of people, millions of people <laughs> probably made the same mistake my wife did, right? Yeah. So just seemed like there's things that we need to talk about here. And um and then hopefully get some feedback from our, our listeners on it. But um, I, I think the big thing is that we're going to be starting to see now is um, security at casinos. Um, you know, I got to say, part of me was surprised when they found, like, whatever, 20 high-powered rifles in this guy's uh, hotel room. But part of me wasn't. And I've always thought that that's interesting. Uh, one of the things I always liked about casinos, I should say, is that they're um, equalitarian. So, you know, you can, uh, people can just, doesn't matter how rich you are, you walk in the front door and you can go sit down at a blackjack table if you want. Um, and that, that freedom was really, really interesting to me. And that's the problem, I think, anytime we have one like this, is now we start looking at chipping away at freedom to protect people, right? So I'm curious now, and, uh, you know, are they going to start searching people's bags before they go up to the 11th floor of the room um you know are we all gonna have to start going through metal detectors at, in casinos um I, I don't know where this is headed but i'm a little worried about it i i am too and what i have to say is that i i don't know where it ends it's like we're gonna start doing all of these things around the world to accommodate guns in other, in other words, instead of taking away the guns, and I'm not getting political, I'm just saying, instead of taking away the guns, we're going to now add security to the entire world to make sure no one uses those guns we're allowing them to have. Right. And it's like, okay, so where does it end? So because there was a concert that was outside of this building, this guy took advantage of that and booked a room where he knew he had a great viewpoint of them and could shoot them. So where does it end? 
well, now there's a concert uh, in New York City on Central Park. Well, now every place around there needs to have metal detectors and security because, you know, so then there, now you have to start looking at locations where every single possible gathering place on the planet where a lot of people could gather at once, the surrounding buildings now are going to have to have metal detectors and security. I mean, where does it end? So I don't know if that's the answer. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying it's not. I mean, when I go through the metal detector at the airport, I'm like, hey, it's a small price to pay to know that when I'm flying, there's not going to be a terrorist attack on me. You know, so I don't bitch and moan about that at all. And sure, I see the but wind still already. Here, is, I think that's, that's, that's really your point, though, is that, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't mind going through the x-ray machine and, and doing that. I mean, I get frustrated at the process, but I don't mind doing it. But it's an irritant, right? I mean, without all that, um, you know, in the past, you'd be able to get to the airport 15 minutes before your flight and just walk right onto the plane, right? Yeah. Now we know, hey, I don't know how long that line's going to be. And even I have TSA pre-check now and that. I mean, my line in Pittsburgh was 30 minutes for TSA pre-check, right? Uh, so yeah. so I always now I always have to be sure I'm at the airport way earlier just because i got to account for that. So... Um, in terms of a casino or even a casino hotel, I think that's kind of where you're headed here with your your point is that, yeah, I mean, I never feel like it's not worth it. I mean, I guess it was, I feel kind of ridiculous going through the metal detector for my clear bottom pressure single A baseball game with a thousand fans. <laughs> right. Um, but it, I do feel safer doing it. So I don't mind that. But I mean, you know, we had a, a three game, four games this year where Tim Tebow was playing, and nine thousand people showed up, and it took forty five minutes to get into the baseball game because of how many people were there and going to the metal detector. So I wonder how many people are like, "Hey, I would love to do this, but this is just ridiculous," and get back in the car and leave. So that's from a casino standpoint. I guess that's where I'm wondering is, sure, we could put up metal detectors at every casino, but at what point do people say, "Man." It's already tough because I have to go through seven, seven thousand square feet of smoking and slots players to get to the poker room as it is. Now I also have to go through security and take everything out of my pocket. Uh, so does that mean those people decide to stay home, right, and not play? And there are a lot of people who aren't comfortable with carrying a lot of cash on them and having at least a whole planet know you're carrying that cash on you. Now you go to the poker right. room yeah. with five buy-ins of you know two hundred, five hundred, you know two, you know two five game. You got twenty five hundred or you know more on you in cash. Now you're pulling that cash out of your pocket in a casino because you got to pull everything out of your pockets to get in. Maybe I mean I don't know how they're going to do it. I saw the wind is actually doing it now. They oh, really? yeah, there's something about on uh, the news this morning where the wind is actually instituting mill detectors, or whatever. So maybe it's just a thing where you're just walking through metal and uh, I don't know. But yeah, I, I don't know where it ends. I don't know where it ends. And it it and I'm not saying that because obviously with the metal detector at you know, at the airport, you know, they didn't take down those planes with guns. You know what I mean? Right. They took them down where the, the cockpit wasn't locked and they had an insider put knives inside the thing. You know what I mean? So it's not it's not just about guns here. It's about security. But, again, you know, I, I, and I don't know how you, you stop something. Like, you just, they're always going to find a way, no matter what it is. Even if you took guns away from everybody, if somebody wants to see a lot of people dead, they'll use cars like they do in, did in France and all these other, you know, in Spain. And it's like, I just don't know where it ends. I do know that, you know, Australia hasn't had a mass shooting in ages, 
because that big one they had, they took all the guns away, and now there's no mass shootings. So I'm not saying that that's the answer. I'm just saying I don't know where it ends. I don't know where it ends and where it begins to to solve this problem. Well, I think what's interesting about the 9-11 thing was that we, we, I don't want to say overcompensated, but we we looked for every possible way to prevent it, right? So. You know, now you have to start taking your shoes out. You take your laptops out. You got to bring so much liquid. Um, you're right. They started locking the cockpit doors. They did probably a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we didn't know. Put more air marshals on planes. So, and then now you're starting to see them walk it back a little bit, like 16 years later, whatever it is now, right? Yeah. So now we have TSA pre-check, so people like me can just essentially go back through security like we used to, but. Again, it's like, you know, a step above. So the cockpits are still locked in that. So, you know, I, I, I think there's a there's a, some point of futility, which I think is what you're mentioning, that, you know, we can keep doing stuff, but it's not going to stop this. I mean, I mean, I suppose if you made a metal detector to just walk into a, a hotel, <laughs> yeah, it would be hard for this guy to amass um, that arsenal there. So theoretically, you've got a very good chance of not having this happen again. Um, but man, imagine the inconvenience at that point, you know, <laughs> especially in Vegas, you know, you, you stumble back to the hotel drunk at 2 a.m. And now you got to go through a, a metal detector and, oh man. Think, think about the, if you take it to its extreme, you're not going to be able to buy fertilizer at Home Depot someday without a background check. Right. I mean, seriously, right. I mean, that's what's right. going to happen is that now anything that you can envision that can make a bomb or some sort of device that can hurt a lot of people at once, any ingredient now, you're going to have to have... A, I mean, that's the extreme, obviously, but that's where we're going. Okay, so you put a security at all of the buildings that are surrounding areas where a lot of people gather. Okay, so that, that eliminates that. So let me see. Maybe I... Now, is there going to be a metal detector at every show that you go to, even when it's an outside show? Because, you know, somebody could bring uh, the device that could explode in the middle, you know... It's just, it's just, it's never ending. It's never ending. It's, it's a scary time to live. It's a scary, scary time to live. Well, I think the other thing that the conversation is going to start happening now, now whether it it gets it or not. But you know, I've had this conversation, a long-standing conversation with one of our listeners that I respect a lot, um, and uh, he's a gun owner, and he's always argued that he hates to see when he walks into a casino and he sees a gun-free zone sign there, that that's an advertisement to a terrorist that they could come in there and shoot at will because no one has a gun to, to stop them. It's an interesting point. I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's an interesting point. But, um, you know, is the conversation going to start now where, where people can, people with concealed weapons permits can now carry them in casinos? Um, and if that's the case, it makes some people feel safer and it makes some people, myself included, feel unsa- less safe. And so I don't know what the net effect is of that. I really don't. I don't know whether that makes people feel more comfortable, so more people are going to be playing poker, or if fewer people are going to are play. You know. Yeah. Um. And and it's an unfortunate question to be asking and trying to figure out the right answer to because none of us had anything to do with this, right? Yeah. One guy caused all this, so um, that that's my frustration in this is. You know, beyond the loss of life and all that, which we're all grieving over, is now we're looking forward, looking, you know, to the game we love and how the effect's going to be, and both financially and personally, um, for our enjoyment of it. Um, 
You know, one so of the things, that, and one of the things that this this instance, this massacre, you know, just um, eliminated was the the argument of, well, if everyone has a gun, you know, like the Pulse night club shooting that we had. Right, that was very know, different than this one. Right? Yeah, yeah, they're like, hey, if everybody yeah, had a gun, then this guy wouldn't have gotten as many rounds off, and he would have gotten shot or something. And I'm like, yeah, well, now what? How, what if everybody had a gun in this one? Doesn't do a stop any. This guy, nothing stops this guy, nothing. You know, when from the gun angle, you know, the gun angle of hey, if everybody had a gun, you know, then then the pulse guy wouldn't have killed that many people. And I'm like, okay, well, what what about this? Everybody had a gun here. This guy doesn't get stopped. So then it's like, okay, now it's then it's casino security. Then that has to stop him. And then okay, so then what stops the next guy from? It's if they want to kill people, they're going to kill people, and it's scary as hell. It's scary, but you know, the gun thing is, I don't know, it's just. It's something I don't, I don't like talking about it on the show, like you said, but it's just it happened in a casino. It happened, and the next point we're going to make now is that this guy, like you said, has been labeled a high-stakes poker player when it's actually video poker. But, you know, we have to, we have to talk about it because, you know, is that going to bother us that this guy was called a poker player? Um, yeah, and, and like I said, I mean, it's, you know, people, it's an easy mistake for people to make. Uh, they don't really understand the difference between video poker and table games poker um, or, or what we call live poker um, I imagine some people would say video poker they probably think that's internet poker right so, yeah you never know you know, and, and you can't fault them for that because this is our lives and we know the difference but you know the normal person doesn't so um, you know I'm hopeful this doesn't have a dramatic effect on once again poker players reputation but I think it's hard to hard to say Conclusively, that it's not going to have effect of some sort that's negative. Yeah, I don't know how we'd ever quantify that, but you're, it's 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 amazing what people will think. It, it's it's quite remarkable, you know, from social media and and the way people think. Sometimes you just you think to yourself, "There's no way anyone can interpret this any other way than this," and then you see they do. They interpret right. it a different way, and so, um, you know, I, I'm not too concerned about the fact that this guy was playing gambling and all that making an impact on us. I think it may it might make an impact on the, the fact that it was in Vegas, that might impact Vegas and then the fact that it was at a casino that might impact a casino and now that there's high rises around concerts might affect people from going to concerts, but I really don't think the poker angle is going to is really going to be anything that we have to be concerned with. I I mean they showed the guy's house. You know, does that mean now homeowners are now at risk of yeah. becoming mass shooters? You know, yeah. so oh, he owns a home. Oh, then anybody who owns a home is gonna, you know. So I don't, I don't think that's really gonna. It but, just, but it, just it is sucks, interesting so. the, the irrationality, right? Because um, you're right. I don't think anybody's gonna say, oh, he's a homeowner, so that. But they will say about the other things. Like for example, you know, I've got, I've talked to a couple people that are, oh, I'm flying to Vegas this week, geez, and I don't think that was just because they're uncomfortable going there because of what just happened in terms of you know, being respectful of the people that lost their lives or whether there's a fear <laughs> that something could happen, right. which from a rational standpoint doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, this, this doesn't seem like in court coordinated at all. This is the one guy that, you know, went off on himself and, um, you know, obviously there's always a, a concern of copycat stuff, but, um, I don't think that's geographic. So, um, but it's hard to imagine because of that irrationality that Las Vegas tourism doesn't take a hit for this. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, and it's not like they're it, that. You're right, and it's it's to think of it irrationally would be to say that okay, now Las Vegas is off limits 
because right. you know but you know when you think about it, it's not like you're going into a war zone that's one thing you're going into the place where it's a war zone then that's different you know you're expecting war there this was a guy who planned this one attack it's not like there's someone behind him planning another attack for the same you know i mean it, it doesn't make sense it's not rational to think that way but but you're right people will my parents are like that my mom Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so, usually you don't treat it that way. Why so. would you go to China? And I'm like, well, because Groupon has a trip for 627 You know what I mean? She's like, yeah, but I'm like, you know, you can't live your life that way either. You know, it's it's scary. I don't know. Uh, and the last thing uh, to mention on this, I didn't put it on the notes, but it, it occurred to me yesterday. I was um, down at City Hall talking to somebody, and they all know I'm you know, in the poker business of some sort. So they're like, gosh, did you know anybody that was was hurt? And I'm like, as far as I know, I didn't, I don't, but it was interesting on Facebook to me because, you know, they have that mark yourself safe feature now, anytime something like this happens. Right. Um, so obviously folks like us tend to know more people in Vegas than other people do. So it's a, it's a good, and a good, a, an understandable question to ask of us. Um, but there was a lot of panic from folks because a lot of our locker poker players are traveling right so you never know where they are and they may home base might be here in florida but they're on the road two-thirds of the year and very likely could be in vegas we don't know so right. it's, it's it's unlike the normal thing where you know hey hurricane's coming through florida so i can check in on all my florida friends i'm not worried about my friends that aren't floridians because you'd be pretty much an idiot to fly down to florida in the middle of a hurricane right but i mean quite a Half of my Facebook feed could have been in Vegas for one reason or the other this week. Right. And uh, I think that was kind of a, um, an interesting dynamic in this whole thing because of what what Vegas is and the people we know. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. <clears throat> All right. Uh, moving on, players who had money on Ultimate Bet and Absolute Poker when those sites were shut down started receiving reimbursements last Friday if they opted for uh, electronic transfers. Players who request a check can expect, to re- expect to receive it within two to three weeks, and players who have yet to file a claim can still do so, though funds are no longer guaranteed to be available. Uh, I got to say, I, I I think I had maybe fourteen cents on Ultimate Bet, um, <laughs> so I wasn't. I, I was not losing sleep over getting that money back, and uh, I'm sure I didn't file a claim to get it. Uh, but so I, I've been out of this thing, right? I I was actually shocked to hear this happening now I, I assume this was all taken care of years ago yeah my sentiments exactly i was like what <laughs> the one thing i do like about this is that it once again proves that playing poker online for money is not illegal because if you had done something wrong they would not be giving your money back yeah that's um, a very good point right and people always come up to me and they're like but it, you know or, or you see like um the stories and uh, people talking about online poker and saying, well, they make it legal in this state. And I'm like, it's not illegal in any state. It's regulated in that state. Uh, it just means that it's regulated. And you have these conversations with people and they just don't buy it. They don't get it. And this is a perfect example. Do you really think the DOJ would give you money back if you broke the law? They would seize that money and keep that money. So this proves it. But yeah, I was just as shocked as you. When you put it on the notes, I'm like, I think Scott copy and pasted a note from like 2014 or something. I don't what what is this about? I can't believe. Well, you know what happened is, you know, I, I scroll my newsfeed for poker stuff, right? And um, when I saw it, and I'm like, that every once in a while, you know, because we have all these breaches going on. Yahoo got breached again this week, and yeah. so it, it's easy for like old news to sometimes pop up in the newsfeed um, 
for whatever strange reason, right? So I saw that like headline for like twice uh, the first time, and I'm like, that's got to be a mistake. And then I saw it the second time, I'm like, hmm. By the time I saw it for the third time, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna click on this, find out what's going on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's it's actually not hashtag fake news. <laughs> oh, but well, very interesting. So, um, so if any of our listeners actually have uh, had money on Ultimate Bet or Ultimate Poker and and took the time to fill out a claim. Very excited for you to get whatever money you get back. Um, you know, what was unclear by the stories, no one's really talking about how much they got back. You know, whether they got back all of it or a portion of it or what. But uh, hopefully uh, anybody listening to the show is being made as whole as possible by this. And um, if so, uh, give me 17 cents so I can feel that I... <laughs> you take that check and frame it. <laughs> hey, Annie updates. The Annie Up NorCal Classic at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento runs October 16th to the 22nd. All information for this 10-event series is available at antiupmagazine.com slash thundervalley. Also, we've added two more Antiup Poco Cruises to our 2018 schedule, including a summer sailing to Cuba. All passengers on all sailings get a commemorative coin souvenir uniquely designed for each sailing at thepokerdepot.com, a one-month membership to advanced poker training, and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more information, visit antiupcruises.com. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast.antiupmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. comes from our good friend, Malcolm O'Malley. He says, I had a little situation come up and wanted to see what you thought. I'm feeling a little guilty about it, but maybe I'm overreacting. I was playing 1-2 No Limit Hold'em at Montego Bay recently and was in the hijack with Ace of Hearts, Deuce of Hearts. It got folded around to me, and as I was reaching for calling chips, the cutoff and button both mucked. The dealer alerted them that there was still one player to act, so instead of grabbing two blue $1 chips, I grabbed two red $5 chips and raised, knowing I would only be up against the blinds. Since I was planning on calling but ultimately decided to raise, I just want to know if this was unethical or some kind of an angle shot. I was in seat 9 by the dealer, so I understand it being hard for seat 1 to see that I had not yet folded but I wasn't doing anything to conceal the fact that I had cards. Ultimately, the blinds folded, and I stole the $3 pot. Did I in any way act unethically? No. No. Not at all. Um, I, and I understand the, the feeling that maybe you did because you changed your mind based on new information, um, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. That's how we're supposed to play poker, right? Yep. Um, but two players that acted before you that should have acted after you gave you information that changed the dynamic of the situation that you're in and based on that information you change the dynamic of your play so it's not unethical your uh, your point i would have done it as well too um it is unfortunate for the blinds because they were harmed in some way i mean maybe they don't care uh, maybe they're going to fold anyhow um well i guess they wouldn't have folded at least the big blind wouldn't have folded if you called but um but they they were harmed by the fact that these two players in between you and them acted out of turn, which changed your actions. So if, if anybody's upset at anybody, the blind should be upset at those players. And it's a good reminder to pay attention to the action and not do that because even, you know, it may not seem like a big deal right now that, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to fold out of turn, and then the race comes and you fold. It actually did have an effect. This is an example of how that has an effect, and um, that's it's a good reminder to players to, you know, not do that. And when they do do it, realize that it's actually a bigger deal than they really think it is. The other thing too is that there's no way this qualifies as an angle shot. 
I mean, an angle shot is you knowingly and ahead of time planning to do something that could be borderline illegal or whatever. This is, this is these guys. You have every right to raise. You still yeah. haven't acted. You know, those guys gave you information that you did not know ahead of time, and it's not your fault they gave you that information. Now you said, I think my ace, my suited ace deuce now is strong enough to beat the blinds. Why would I not play it the most efficiently and effectively way I should play it? These are the tools I have, and this is the information I have. So I can see how you might feel bad, but ultimately you did exactly what you were supposed to do, knowing that you'd be last to act with an ace, a suited ace in your hand against random cards that have money in the pot. So... No, I I mean I can see where you might have some sort of concern, but it's it's concern you shouldn't have. It really isn't. No problem, Ellie. Yep. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. Email us at podcast at magazine dot com, and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerRadius.com, poker's best social networking site and home of the Annie Up Group discussions. Comes from Mike Petsy. He says, we're playing 1-2 Null and Hold'em in my local casino. Dealer burns and puts out a flop of Trey 8 Jack. Before any action, someone realizes the dealer had burned two cards. The four was called, and in the midst of the discussion, moves the two burn ca- burns around to the point where no one knows which of the two is the actual burn. He then gets the floor supervisor, who stacks the flop from right to left, furthest left card, the tray in this case, on the bottom. He then pulls one of the two burn cards and replaces that bottom flop card with it and spreads the flop back out with the one new card, which is now Ace-8 Jack, and says we can start post-flop action. He said the three he had removed from the original flop would be the next burn card. Huh? It was my understanding that when a double burn occurs before action takes place, the second burn is placed on top of the deck and is used as the next burn. Am I wrong? It says, based upon the reading of the situation and an assumption that the flop was placed by a right-handed dealer in the most typical and correct manner, then I have to believe that the supervisor was right. There's nothing here to make me think that the burn cards didn't come down together. This would mean that the leftmost card on the flop, the tray, was the last card removed from the stub. If the tray was the last card taken from the stub, it was correctly made the next burn card. Correct cards um, are now in play, and the action was not affected, and all players got to act with the identical information. This was ruled correctly. One, it's it's very rare that Elliot agrees with the ruling. Am I correct on that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that hardly ever happens, very rarely. So that's shocking. Two, I, I might have been in, I think I might have been in Mike's camp. It seems to me like, you know, now that somebody knows a three is definitely not coming, they're getting additional information they shouldn't have had and all this stuff, but I, I'm not, I'm not, discussing that i don't i don't care that's fine um uh but it's just so weird to have not only elliot agree with the ruling but then you know I, to me i, I don't know How, what do you think about this do you think that's the right move or do you feel well, like i think the one thing that elliot didn't address um and maybe it's immaterial um but was that this first floor supervisor who who didn't know how to make the decision and ask for somebody else um according to mike here was fidgeting with the cards for some strange reason. You know, maybe he forgot his fidget spinner. <laughs> it's just like yeah. sat down on the cards around. So in that case, we don't actually know what the proper burn card should have been because he was playing three-card Monty with the cards. So to that extent, I can see where this would be wrong. But assuming that uh, he, he got the order of the cards right in the middle of his fidgeting, 
Um, I don't have a problem with what Elliot said. Um, initially, when I read this, I think I was I was with you guys, and I'm like, this just didn't sound right. But I honestly didn't know. So, um, so the three uh, the three should have never came out in this scenario again, assuming that the cards were back in their correct order. Um, so therefore, no one's hand is really harmed by it not coming out. I mean, this is not a scenario where you know it. There is a flaw put out before action was complete or whatever, and the card needed to be reshuffled back in. That card was never going to come if it was supposed to be the burn card. So if I have pocket trays, I can't argue that that card should have a chance to come back because it was never going to come. Now, the flip side of that, though, is if I have pocket trays, um, you know, my hand is harmed now. Or, I mean, the other player's hands and action is harmed because now I know I only have one more card to make my set. Yep. And I'm less likely to put money in the pot because a card was exposed that shouldn't have been. But unfortunately, that happens. All, I mean, that, that's really no different, I guess, than when you're a dealer deals and accidentally flips a card up and then tells you, hey, sorry, Ace of Clubs is a burn card and gives that person another card. You know, it's a card that now we are basing our information on knowing. But again, everybody knows it. So it's identical. Um, so that's, you know, I, I don't think you can do anything about that. So. Uh, so I guess my only problem was just with the the supervisor fidgeting with the cards for some strange reason. I don't really understand why you would, um, why you would be touching the cards. Well, the, the final point I wanted to make on it was, isn't it remarkable how often card destiny comes up in this stuff? And we we go, I always get yeah. beat up for it, saying that's not what's supposed to be out there, and then people give you crap. But it's amazing how many times the supervisor will get in there and secure that card destiny. You know. Well, again, because it calms people down, right? I yeah. think more people than not are, are whether they want to say they believe in card destiny or not. You know, when they see a card that should have been theirs or shouldn't have been theirs, they get upset. So the fact is, as a matter of principle, you floors are trying to maintain the integrity of the deck is, I think, in some way uh, attributed to the fact that that keeps the the tribe from screaming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's remarkable because, and that's why it's 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 interesting when he says the rule it was ruled correctly, and I'm thinking, well, you know, it, 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 is it correct or do you guys not really care about card destiny? Because there are other rulings that they'll make where they don't care about card destiny, and it's like, okay, well, which is right, and how could it be correct if if we weren't in other situations when oh I didn't get the right card dealt to me? Eh, it's a random card, doesn't matter. No, it, well wait a minute, why does it matter if it's not random on the flop? The flop, hey, you burn two cards, big deal. It's random. It's still just random three cards coming out. But now it matters. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's I I would I would be accepting of an argument that said that it doesn't matter that the tray eight jack were put out when it should have been ace eight jack. Right. Because we at that point. We didn't know about any of the cards. So if you think about it, the way we resolved this, we actually exposed another card, yeah, right? exactly. Exposed the ace. So if there weren't people that were upset about card destiny out there, I think the solution would have been easy. It would have been just, hey, yeah, those weren't supposed to be the three cards, but those are the three cards on the table. You know, it was an accident with one extra burn. I mean, nothing, nothing is out. Nothing, nothing's truly affected here unless you believe in card destiny. And therefore, let's just leave the trade eight jack out and continue with the hand. Yeah, yeah, uh, unbelievable. Anyway, I just <laughs> that was a fun, fun thing to see him agree with the ruling. That hardly ever happens. <laughs> hey, we get to complete O'Malley's move today. Here comes part one. Hello. 
hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing $1-$2 PLO8. This game has a mix of experienced players and No Limit Hold'em converts with no idea what they're doing. In this home game, the action has been pretty timid pre-flop. Not a lot of raising, but almost no bets of less than pot after the flop. We are six-handed. The blinds post, and it's limped to us in the cutoff with a beauty. The ace of spades, ace of hearts, tray of spades, deuce of hearts. We make a raise, accounting for the limpers, to $12, leaving us about 90 behind. The big blind calls, a newcomer to the game of PLO8, who plays Hold'em well, but is too loose during Omaha. The end of the gun also calls, a solid Hold'em player who has an interest in Omaha, but is still learning. We have both players covered. The pot is $45, and the flop is an interesting one. The ace of clubs, king of clubs, five of clubs. Well, top set, not low draw, but a very coordinated board. The big blind checks, but the under the gun makes a pot-sized bet. It's $45 to us, and that represents half of our stack. What's the move? All right, this depends on what we think the big blind will do. I I really love my hand here, uh, so I have no problem repotting all in. Um, but if I think a call will bring the big blind along, I prefer to do that. Um, since he's described as new and loose, though, I'll probably repot. Yeah, I'm going to wait a street and just call. I, I like that we have a draw to all of the nut hands. Um, but right now, uh, we trail any two clubs. So the turn is where we make our money in this game. Uh, and uh, I think a call could bring along the second best hands and make us win some more money. So I'm just going to call right now. Here we go. Hello again. Even if our opponent has the nut flush, we still have a myriad of outs for the high, low, and a scoop. But I want to squeeze the big blind out. We make it $90 to go and shove our stack in. The big blind thinks for a long time before folding. The under the gun calls immediately. We turn over our hand. The under the gun turns over the queen of hearts, queen of clubs, jack of clubs, ten of diamonds. Pair the board. A beautiful five of hearts comes on the turn, and after we dodge the ten of clubs on the river, we scoop the pot. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying some draws are worth getting your money before you hit them. I hope to see you. All right, journalist nitpick. It's myriad, not myriad of. The of is included. Common mistake. Uh, But we did hear what I thought... uh, what I thought we we have done, and I'm glad it worked out. Um, but the interesting thing is, we'll always be curious whether the big blind would have come along had we played it like Chris wanted to. I'm so glad you said this because, believe it or not, most language experts say either way is fine. Myriad <laughs> was used as a noun in English long before it was used as an adjective, and today it's considered both a noun and an adjective, which means it can be used with an a before it as a noun or with an a before it as an adjective. Sometimes you, you just gotta let go of that time style, buddy. Of our English language, but I will not. Sometimes you gotta let go of time style, buddy. It. Uh, <laughs> I. I've done that as many times as you have. Put it in people's faces that they're just say myriad, don't say a myriad of, and then I've had it put back to me by grammarian experts say, uh, actually, no. So I don't know what to say. All I'm saying is that uh, I, I'm with you on it. I, I always thought it was myriad because it meant a specific number, but there's actually more definitions of myriad than 10,000. So anyway, I agree. I'm glad we scooped. Five on the turn was great, and uh, great hand. All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, 
You'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Ed Rindler is back. Yes. And he's got a uh, situation here, so I guess, uh, and it's short, so we'll just go ahead and read the whole thing and then uh, talk okay. about it. Okay. Uh, four-handed in a winner-take-all tournament. I have squiggly 6,500, blinds are 300, 600, and I have ace of spades. Eight. I'm sorry. Yeah, back up. Eight of spades, eight of hearts, so pocket eights. Okay, two eights. Uh, I raised to 1,400, uh, villain number one, and the button raises all in another 350 for me to call. Uh, the player will do this with any two high cards and has more than once, but no one calls him. Small blind is agonizing over his hand. The way he's acting, I'm imagining a small pocket pair are suited ace-king. He eventually shoves for an additional 350. The big blind says he should just call from the value but folds. In a game where the it isn't winner-take-all, I probably let this hand go easily, but I have a chance to get heads up with a monster stack. I figure I'm racing two cards for sure. I'm possibly four. I count on my chips and see I will still have squiggly 4,400 left. I tank for about three minutes before calling. Bill number one flips over the king of diamonds, jack of diamonds. Bill number two flips over king of clubs, jack of clubs. Well, I like that. Mm. Um, I couldn't really believe villain uh, two. He's normally pretty solid, but the jack hits a turn and they split the pot, equaling the stacks throughout the table. Did I, did I make a mistake in this game? It feels pretty straightforward. Well, here's the deal. Uh, when there's four cards racing me, I'm never happy about that. But I don't know if you had, if you could fold there. Uh, trying to figure out if we made it 1400 and then 350 more means now there's already you only had to call 700 to win, and then another 350 on top of that. And it's there's a lot of money out there for 700 more. So I think you have to call. It's 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 hard for me to to say that because I feel like. There's no way eights are winning here because someone's going to have pocket nines or better, and then someone else is going to have, or they're all going to have four overs, and you're going to be racing four cards, and that's that's tough to beat with eights. But the amount of money you were getting on a 700 unit call seems like it, you probably had to make that call at the end. The thing that I wondered if is not why you didn't shove preflop with them. Exactly. I think right? that's be- the bigger right? right? Yeah, because it, first of all, you only had ten big blinds basically. And if there were any antes or whatever, I mean, your M was just minute. So, I mean, I would have shoved with 8-8. Eight, eight, and then these guys might have just called, folded, you know. Um, maybe not. Maybe they just called, because, I don't know, because of the way they play. But to make it 1,400 of your 6,500 stack, that's, to me, it's just too much. I mean, I just, I would have just shoved. I would have just shoved. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things about this that, that you need to consider. One, it's a winner-take-all tournament. So at this point, I mean... Uh, this, this tournament does not favor conservatism. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be chipping up because you gotta win the tournament to get anything out of it. So, um, any apprehension you have with shoving with eights here means that you shouldn't be in this type of tournament because you're gonna have to shove with the eights and with a bigger stack even. But we had, uh, I'll, I'll be generous and give them eleven big blinds because sixty five hundred. But you know, anything less than fifteen big blinds, you're shoving. So that. To me, that was a bigger mistake, and it doesn't matter really whether they called or folded at that point. That's the proper move to be to, to make right, at that right, point. Right. So, um, but as played, it's not to me just about the extra seven hundred, which you know is is an easy call. But it's also now you've got the chance of eliminating two other players and getting heads up, and that's a bigger deal uh, to me at this point. So. Yeah, the, ch- the chances of you actually doing that are not good. But 
um, if you do, the reward for it is phenomenal. Because now you've gone from only one of the four people sitting at the table having a chance uh, of winning money to now you being one of two people that has a chance. And I'm not too worried about a big uh, chip stack heads up because you do a couple double ups and now you, you've got them. So um, I'm never never too worried about that. So that 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 makes that made this all very easy for me. But yeah, I, I, the big mistake wasn't shoving um, before I thought. Yeah, I, I agree. I think once you, that's one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show is, especially with the hands of the week and the situations and things like this, is that you and I talk about what we would have done on Street One or pre-flop. But then it doesn't happen that way, so then we have to reassess and then act the way we need to act on the flop. And then we say what we would do, and then when it doesn't happen that way, we go to the turn and say, okay, well, all that stuff we would have done doesn't matter now because this is what has been done by Ed or whoever writes to us. And so you're always adjusting with each situation. So in this case, I think you might have made a mistake pre-flop, but now that that money is in there and it's only 700 to call and you're in a situation where it's winner-take-all and you're going to knock it down the heads up and you could have a huge stack, absolutely, you have to. that's the right play to make now is to call. So, I mean, even though you made a mistake earlier, you gotta can't make more mistakes. This is the correct move now. If you fold now, then it's another mistake. So... Um, just it's always about eliminating mistakes and making easier decisions for yourself. Uh, but yeah, I would have showed preflop definitely. Hey, this is uh, nothing else. This is a good <laughs> show. <laughs> it's a short show, but uh, we got things to do. We're recording early on Wednesday because I'm going out of town. I'm going to Connecticut for a wedding, and uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll hit Foxwoods one of those days while I'm up there. Who knows? I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tape. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.